Guardian Unlimited. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Alan Beath. One, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, sir, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will join with me in sending our condolences to the family and friends of the Royal Marine from Fort 2 Commando who was killed in Afghanistan yesterday. Again, we in this House pay tribute to the bravery, professionalism and commitment of our armed forces. Mr Speaker, sir, this morning I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. I'm sure the whole House will want to support the Prime Minister in the comments he made about our lost servicemen. Is the Prime Minister aware that most of the strategic A1 road in North Northumberland remains the single carriageway that it was when he went from Durham to school in Edinburgh? Does he blame that on bad decision-making, which has led to nearly half a million pounds being spent spent on schemes which have been dropped from the road programme? Or does he blame it on the fact that he's never given the North East anything like the Barnet formula, which has enabled Scotland to spend more money on transport, public transport and other services? <laughs> well, uh, there are a number of, uh, there are a number of, uh, of uh, political minefields that I could, um, political minds I could step on um, in, in answering this. I mean, we have, of course, invested a great deal more money in road building. I do, of course, uh, re- not merely uh, know about the A1, but uh, recall many occasions driving on it and wishing for precisely the upgrade that he indicates. However, we have to make sure that our transport budget is spent according to the overall means that we have. Though we have increased it substantially, uh, we have not been able to find the money for that upgrade yet. But I know that he would want to pay tribute to the work that has happened in the North East over the past few years, that has seen the North East now with the strongest economy it has had probably um, the, for the last 100 years in a a situation where we've had massive investment in education and health and where unemployment is now the lowest it has been, certainly all the time I've been a member of a MP and probably all the time he's been an MP as well. Chris Moore. I'm sure my right honourable friend will want to express horror at events and sympathy with the families and friends of the five young women who have disappeared from in and around Ipswich Uh, probably to be murdered. Will he express confidence in the Suffolk Police and the other East of England police services in their ability to work together and the resources available to them in order to bring this vile murderer to justice as quickly as possible? Obviously, I agree entirely with what my honourable friend has, has said, and we support the police fully in dealing with the horror of this situation and also with the entirely understandable fear there is uh, in the community. I'm sure the whole House of Commons would want to send its sympathy to the people of Ipswich, to the people of the county of Suffolk, and most particularly, of course, to the family and friends of the the victims. Um, And I can assure my honourable friend we will do everything we can to support the police in the difficult and challenging work that they do, and I have every confidence that they will perform their task well. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I agree very much with what the Prime Minister said about Ipswich. We all want this monster to be caught and to be locked up. Can I join the Prime Minister in sending our condolences to the Royal Marine who died in Afghanistan? The Defence Secretary told the House of Commons that changes in allowances for troops would, and I quote, not take one penny away from anybody. Will the Prime Minister confirm that government briefing now shows that this is not true. Well, 
Let me explain what is happening in relation to these allowances. And I, I do apologize right at the outset because some of it is complicated, and this is as I understand it. At the present time for – well, I'm trying to give the explanation if uh, the House would, would, would be kind enough to listen. At the moment for um, the Navy and Royal Marines, there are two different allowances that are being amalgamated together. In respect of one of those allowances, which is the longer service at sea bonus, that itself is then split into two different types of payment. When they are amalgamating all of it into one allowance, which is going to be called the longer separation allowance, then they are deeming the amount of credits under that particular part of the longer service at sea bonus to be roughly at 60%. That will mean within that bonus there are those people who will have actually accrued more than 60%, so within that bonus they may receive less than otherwise they would. Right? However, if the House would just listen, however, that is more than compensated for by the fact that the new allowance is going to be paid at a bigger, higher rate um, £25 rather than £12.80, and all of the people are going to be credited, all personnel are going to be credited with an extra 100 days um, as the deemed separation. Now, as a result of that, so I am informed, the letter that the uh, Second Sea Lord sent to the Navy and Marines is correct that people will not lose under that benefit. And then, I'm sorry, I have to give the explanation, but this is the explanation. There is then... Look, I spent a long time this morning trying to get to grips with this. Yeah. But in, in relation to the other allowance, which is called the Accumulated Turbulence Allowance... That allowance, I am told, at the present time kicks in when 280 days are served. That is now going to be amalgamated so that there is this one longer separation allowance. I am told it is possible that some of those who are, who are, going to, who are getting at present that allowance may receive less than they otherwise thought they would. However, the majority of them will receive more under the longer separation allowance, and quite apart from all of that, the new operational allowance, tax-free at £2,200 a year, means that overall no one loses money and everyone gains money. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very grateful for that answer. This, this is... Um, this is complicated, and I think the Prime Minister has shown that when the current career is over, a relaunch of Yes Minister with himself as Sir Humphrey would be very effective. But, but, but at heart, there's a simple question, which is, are ministers reflecting the briefing that they're given? Because I have here the MOD briefing. Yes. Officials now are so concerned about inaccurate answers that they've started giving the briefing to us as well. Yeah. And the briefing that says policy restricted, and it does say the Prime Minister is being briefed along these lines for PMQs on Wednesday, it says very clearly it has always been recognised and accepted that there will be a few potential losers. Given there are going to be potential losers, why did the Defence Secretary effectively give an inaccurate answer? And will the Prime Minister get him to come here and apologise for doing so? Yeah. If, if one, 
if one looks at what is actually happening, as a result of the explanation, which I will not repeat, the House will be delighted to know, uh, it is... It, it is not the case that in relation to the allowances paid to Royal Marines and the Navy that people are losing. On the contrary, they are gaining. Indeed, in some cases, they will gain significantly. And that is why the Defence Secretary, when he, he agreed with the letter that the Second Sea Lord sent out to the Navy and Marines, was absolutely accurate. The point is in relation to this other allowance, this accumulated turbulence allowance, and that arose, I think, in the newspapers this morning in respect to the Grenadiers. It's not that they will receive less money. It's that some, no, it is that the money that they were going to receive under the present allowance may be less than they thought they were going to get. However, however, many of those will in fact get more. And in any event, the charge that has been made by the Shadow Defence Secretary, which is that we are effectively giving the operational tax allowance of £2,200 with one hand and taking that away with the other, is completely wrong. In actual fact, we have worked it out there is £60 million additional in total being paid under the allowance system. But the Lieutenant Colonel of the Grenadier Guards said to have this entitlement withdrawn nine days before Afghanistan sends an appalling message after a seven-month interval. The point is simple. The Defence Secretary was briefed one thing. He said something else. Why not apologise? Why does this government find it so impossible to apologise? Let me, let me turn to another frontline service the government is letting down. Today, the Labour-dominated Health Select Committee says many of the problems in the NHS are caused by poor central management. Who is responsible for that poor central management? Of course, anything that is managed in the centre is the responsibility of government. But let, us just, yeah, but let us just take the situation in the health service today, because as well as the Health Select Committee report, which actually on balance pointed to the improvements in our healthcare system, there was also the publication of the latest results, which show the amount of work being done in our health service, and for example shows that for the first time ever, the average waiting time for outpatient appointments is below four weeks, and that we have had dramatic falls, both in waiting lists and waiting times right across the board. But the Prime Minister stands here week after week saying that local cuts are the fault of local health staff. But this report shows its poor central management. The health report says this, the NHS has veered from one priority to the next as the political focus has changed. It has concentrated on meeting targets with too little concern for finance. Now it also says, Mr Speaker, not only will services be affected, but also patient care. Will the Prime Minister accept that this poor central management and the financial crisis in the NHS is harming patient care? Yes or no? I accept that patient care is not improving in this country. I believe that patient care is improving in this country. And that is perfectly obvious from the publication of the results this morning, but also the fact that when we came to office, there were literally hundreds of thousands of people that used to wait 12 months, sometimes 18 months for their operation. We are now on course for an 18-week door-to-door that is in and out patient list combined, and that is only happening, not just as a result of the massive investment, but also as a result of the change. And might I remind the right honourable gentleman, he not merely voted against the investment, every penny piece of it, he's now apparently opposed to the reforms and changes necessary to give value for money in the health service. He talks about the situation when he came to office. Let me tell him, when he's leaving office, we've got accident and emergency departments threatened, we've got maternity units under review, 
view, community hospitals closing. The Prime Minister must be the only person in this country who thinks that patient care isn't suffering. Isn't the problem that the government can't address the problems of failure at the centre because the person at the centre's a lame duck? Why doesn't he give us all an early Christmas present and tell us when he's off? Well, let me just say, first of all, first of all, in, in relation to... In relation to the accidents and emergency departments, I hope he will, will withdraw the claim that was made by his shadow health spokesman because he claimed that 29 uh, accident emergency departments were going to close. In actual fact, having gone through this, many, it is true, are subject to consultation about changes in provision, but actually 12 of those are subject to no, even to no consultation about change. And if we look overall at what is happening, both with accident and emergency departments, which are transformed from where they were a few years ago, or if you take cancer care, where, again, when we came to office, people used to have to wait weeks and weeks, sometimes months, to see a consultant they no longer do, or cardiac care, where people used to die waiting for operations and now get their operations in three months, or, for example, cataracts, where people used to wait over two years for an operation, now the average is three months or under, and if we look at the largest hospital building program underway since the beginning of the NHS, the fact is the NHS is getting better, it's getting better under a Labour government, and after years of cutbacks and underinvestment under the Tories, for the first time, the National Health Service is yet again the pride of the country. Alan Simpson, I hope the Prime Minister will ignore the fatuous invitations to uh, inform the opposition about his departure intentions. But can he tell the House whether he has any plans to visit the House of Commons to lead a debate on the current and deteriorating situation in Iraq so that this House can exercise the duty of scrutiny that has so far only been accorded to the Americans? Um, I have to say to my honourable friend that I, of course, do answer questions at this dispatch box on Iraq the entire time. However, uh, it is obvious that... Over the next few weeks, um, there will be the response by the administration to the Baker-Hamilton report that's been presented to the administration. We will also come to a different position ourselves uh, in respect of how we are deploying troops in Iraq, provided that the operation currently being conducted in Basra is successful for all the reasons the uh, Defence Secretary and Foreign Secretary have given. And my right honourable friend, the Leader of the House, will give details tomorrow of how we can make sure that the House has an opportunity to debate these issues properly. Sir Mingus Campbell, I join with the Prime Minister in his earlier expressions of sympathy and condolence. Uh, the Prime Minister is obviously, like the rest of us, shocked by the disturbing events in Suffolk. It's clear, is it not, that once again we see the link between poverty, prostitution and drug abuse. Um, there, obviously, uh, there obviously is um, a link between all those things, but if I can say this to the, the right honourable gentleman, I think there may well be lessons that we have to learn as a result of the uh, terrible events um, of the past few weeks, but I think those lessons are best learned in a considered and not reflex way. So at the moment, I think our priority has got to be to find the person responsible, to give our full support to the police. I think it is wise for us to leave to a later time uh, a more considered, potentially, policy response to the issues that have arisen. So at that later time, will the Prime Minister consider a wholesale review of the law in this area so as to ensure that we do everything in our power, so far as possible, 
to ensure women's safety? Well, as I say, I think we should, uh, we should try to, to learn the lessons of that, um, that whole issue at a later time. But I, I would just make this point as well, that when we published a consultation paper last year, I think the responses to that paper showed how difficult this area is in policy terms. But I think, as I say, that is for a later time. Jim Kennedy. Yeah. When my right honourable friend next visits Liverpool, would he care to meet Kay Fine, who came to Britain from Germany on August 26, 1939, with the Kinder Transport? Does he agree that it is the painful, honest testimony of folk like Kay that brings shame to those that deny the Holocaust? I agree entirely with what my right honourable friend says, and I think and hope that the response right across the civilised world to um, the attempt to deny or cast out on the Holocaust at that conference in Iran. I th hope that that response sends a very clear signal um, that people like Kay and the misery uh, that she and her families went through should never, ever be forgotten. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Chancellor has downgraded his forecast receipts from the North Sea by £2 billion. Doesn't this highlight the need for us to diversify our energy resources, in which Scotland has a key role to play? Will the Prime Minister recognise the critical mass in offshore technology that exists in and around Aberdeen, not only for oil and gas, but for offshore wind, offshore wave and tidal energy, and that with our two excellent universities, that makes Aberdeen a prime location for a leading role in the government's proposed offshore technologies institute? Well, I, I, I would agree with them, uh, both uh, on the excellence of Aberdeen and the facilities there um, and the potential for renewable technologies. The difficulty is how long it will take to get those technologies to, uh, to, to, to market. And I secondly would also agree with them about the diversity of energy supply. That is the reason why recently um, we have concluded the deal with, with Norway um, on the import of Norwegian gas into this country will um, uh, meet around about 30% of our gas needs. I happen to believe also it is the reason why um, we need to replace our existing nuclear power stations as well. But whatever we do, the government will be making a significant additional investment in re renewable technology and the cooperation between business and uh, the academic world will be of prime importance in doing that. Chris McCafferty. My right honourable friend, join with me in welcoming the new UN target on universal access to reproductive health by 2015 under Millennium Development Goal 5. Would he agree that this will help save the lives of the 500,000 women in Africa who die every year from preventable pregnancy and childbirth related causes? And will he congratulate Gifford and the UK NGOs who've worked tirelessly to secure this new target? Well, the, the, the um, NGOs and, and uh, indeed uh, the Department for International Development, as my honourable friend says, have done a, a superb job and it is, it is d deeply necessary. We will provide ourselves um, for round about one and a half billion pounds of extra money um, to go in the fight against HIV AIDS. Um, there are somewhere in the region, I think, of four million people who get infected every year uh, in Africa. But the, 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 the more positive news is that there are now 800,000 people in Africa getting treatment. And that number can rise very substantially over the coming years if this millennium goal is, is met. And what that shows is that if the necessary political will is there, it does actually make a difference on the ground in treating people who need the treatment. Peter Tapso. Yeah. 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 
since the Prime Minister is so fond of apologising to foreigners for the, uh, for the conduct of our long-dead ancestors, will he now, particularly in view of the accumulated turbulence, apologise to the British people for his own folly in leading us into the Iraq disaster? Well, I'm afraid I, I, I won't, because I believe it was right to remove Saddam, and it is right now to support people in Iraq who, who want democracy. And as for the, the uh, earlier comments, and I don't think I've... Um, ever heard the word foreigner expressed with quite such, <laughs> such strong emotion. Um, but I, I have to say to him, I mean, I'm always, I'm always uh, uh, amazed at how these things are treated. I, I think for us to say uh, in the year 2006, as we come up to the anniversary of the abolition of slavery, that it was a shameful trade, I would have thought that's something that even he and I could agree upon. Mr. Speaker, I know that the Prime Minister is well aware of the immense benefits of regeneration that have resulted from the Government's support for British waterways since 1997 and the contribution that waterways now make to leisure, tourism, education, heritage and transport. Is he aware of the very serious problems and the fear being caused by the sudden cuts in DEPRA grant? And will he discuss with Ministerial colleagues a sustainable funding model and status for British waterways that secures the future of this unique national asset. Um, well, I, I have to, I have to uh, con confess to my uh, honourable friend, I wasn't fully aware of all the changes in British waterways and canals, but I am now. Um, and uh, uh, it is correct that, that actually over the past few years there has been a very significant rise in the way that people have used our canals and waterways and the British Waterways Board has done a superb job as well um, and, and actually as a result of this it has really been turned around from where it was a decade ago however they like everyone else have to live within the means that we set ourselves and it's important that we make sure that in addition that we are actually giving additional monies um, since those that were available in 1997 but the Department of the Environment and Rural Affairs, like everyone else, must live within their means. Bill Willis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, four decades after the screening of Cathy uh, Come Home, 1.6 million children are still living either in temporary or unsuitable accommodation. In my own constituency, 2,600 families are on the waiting list and 110 families are statutory homeless. The response from the Tory local council is to create one single affordable dwelling in the last year. When will, when will, when will the Prime Minister really tackle this issue by making it a duty for local authorities to create social housing? And when will he give them the resources and indeed the policies to be able to do that? I don't in any shape or form underestimate the problem that, that, that he raises, but we have put, I think, somewhere in the region of some £2 billion into social housing, and we have also, of course, tackled not just rough sleepers, but also this, this concept of families being in bed and breakfast accommodation for long periods of time. But I agree we have to do far more, uh, which is why the investment coming over the next few years will be very important. The danger of giving yet another statutory obligation to local authorities it will be whether they are able, um, within the resources that they have to do this, and also whether it's right for central government to set them such a target. But I entirely agree it is a proper responsibility that local authorities should take seriously. Bill Turner. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, my right honourable friend will be aware that the Independent Audit Commission yesterday announced that the Labour-controlled Wigan Council, superbly led by our noble friend Lord Smith of Lee, was awarded four stars, one of only two councils in the country. Will my right honourable friend uh, join with me in congratulating the Labour councillors on their strategic success and also the officers for their superb achievement in this? And will he also say, agree that it's important that we actually provide additional resources for excellent councils like Wigan, not just the freedoms that were announced in the local government uh, white paper? Um, I, I certainly am very happy to give my congratulations to Wigan Council and to the councillors and to the officers that have made such enormous progress in Wigan over the past few years. And just to take one example, I know in education um, in, in Wigan there's been a tremendous amount of improvement and change and record results, uh, but also there's been, of course, very substantial reductions in unemployment and the increases, both through tax credits and additional child benefit, has reduced poverty there as well. So it is the partnership between a strong Labour local authority and a Labour government that is delivered for the people of Wigan. Yeah. Oh, Williams. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Is the Prime Minister aware of plans by any of the coalition partners for long-term permanent bases in Iraq? The issue of bases in Iraq is something that obviously has got to be considered with the Iraqi government. And so any discussions on that basis start and end with the Iraqi government themselves. They are a sovereign government. Mr. McShane, when the Prime Minister is in Brussels later this week, one of the most difficult problems we'll have to deal with is Turkey, where the opposition of a number of centre-right governments and politicians in Europe make Turkey's application to join the EU much more difficult. Does he therefore agree with me that the decision of the party opposite to break all links with the centre-right parties of Europe... Oh, oh, order, order. I made a mistake calling the honourable gentleman. Tell him out for... Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, people will, will be concerned today to, to hear the nice report that some teenagers... Uh, may, as a last resort, have to have surgery to deal with obesity. Wouldn't it instead be better to deal with uh, problems of nutrition with the Healthy Start programme? While it, is, while it is welcome to have the extra money for low-income families, isn't it the nutritional and exercise advice that's really the best way to tackling this growing problem of teenage obesity? My honourable friend is, is right in drawing attention to the, the Healthy Start scheme, which is a very um, good scheme. It's, it's providing um, vouchers for, for um, good and healthy food for literally uh, thousands, I think hundreds of thousands of children in our country. But also what is happening is through extended schools and the increase in, in breakfast clubs and after-school activities, many children who didn't used to get a meal before they went to school are now getting a meal. Also, as a result of the um, specialist sports colleges, which are now several hundred, I think, right across the country, then we're increasing the amount of availability of sport in schools. And I entirely agree with my honourable friend, this is a major area in which government has to expand its activities and deepen the support it gives people, because this issue to do with public health, upon which the, the future of the National Health Service actually depends in large measure, can only be met by people having the opportunity to live more healthy lives, but also taking some responsibility to do so. Ms Robinson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Government has announced a consultation process about the introduction of an Irish language bill, which would uh, outrage the vast majority of people in Northern Ireland. Would he confirm that in the event of devolution, it would be entirely for the Assembly to determine whether such a bill would proceed, and in what terms? Well, of course, um, I mean, I can assure the Honourable Lady, first of all, that, um, uh, th that 
nobody is going to be forced under the provisions of any such bill to speak the Irish language, of course not. Um, but in relation to the consultation document that has been put out, um, we will obviously wait for responses, um, but the sooner it is possible, of course, to get devolution back up and running again, um, the easier it will be for these decisions to be taken where I'm sure people in Northern Ireland will wish them to be taken. The Friends of Reddish Baths is a local community group who have drawn up a superb business plan to reopen and manage their swimming pool which was closed down last year by Stockport Sports Trust and Lib Dem Stockport Council. What hope can my right honourable friend give to local groups who want to self-manage community facilities but who are constantly being slapped down by town hall bureaucrats and Liberal Democrat councillors. Well, I'm, I wish the uh, campaign for Reddish Baths well and, and hope it is successful. And of course what my honourable friend draws attention to is the strength of voluntary and community groups within our local communities. Uh, we held a reception for such groups in Downing Street last night, and you see the range of work these groups are doing up and down the country. Magnificent work in social enterprise, providing facilities, um, as he indicated, and certainly on this side of the House, if not the Lib Dem side of the House, we fully support such community groups and the work they do. Mr. Speaker, when inquests are held into the deaths of service personnel whose bodies are returned to the United Kingdom, the government is represented by the Treasury Solicitor. The Treasury Solicitor has access to effectively unlimited taxpayers' funding for QCs, witnesses and support investigation. Families of the bereaved attending the same inquest have to pay out of their own pockets. Is it right that the dice should be loaded against the bereaved? Well, first of all, when we are talking about those that have fallen in combat, whether in Iraq and Afghanistan, I think we should again pay tribute to their heroism and their courage and their dedication. Now, in respect, I, I know my right honourable friend is looking carefully at the arrangements um, in respect of coroners. Uh, I don't have anything to say on this at the present time. But it is important, of course, that we make sure that those families are given every facility they possibly can be. Guardian Unlimited.